So, today is International Day, and what I'd like to start with is how well do we know the nations of the world around us? How well do we know those different cultures? So I'm going to name a tradition or describe something that's a tradition from a different country, and I want you to see if you can guess. A bit of audience participation. I am not standing here as a numpty on my own. I do require you to participate. So the first, I'm going to read it as it's written. One tribe practices a way of spectating that involves grunting, menacing facial expressions, loud chanting, stomping, guttural howling, tongue waggling, chest thumping. It's not there to attract the girls, but it's meant to strike fear and awe into its opponents. New Zealand, and it is the... Yeah, the hacker. There we go. So I've got here, this is my best impression. Thank you for guessing it. I really don't need to do that now. Okay. Um, Waltz and Matilda is played by the marching band to practice their marching. It's not Australia. The US, thank you. Somebody that heard me practicing earlier in the week. But the US actually have taken Waltz and Matilda. It's the best marching song, apparently, for them to practice their marching. So have a go later and see if it works for you. Um, which country throws a child's tooth onto the roof when it falls out? And it's actually the children that do it, not the adults. They throw their teeth onto the roof of their house when it falls out. We put it under a pillow. It's not China. Not Germany. No. It is actually Greece. And I discovered a whole set of children's books talking about traditions from around the world, and this was one of them. So that was great. Okay. In which country or culture do you never write a person's name in red ink? Because only dead people's names are written in red. Sorry? China? No, it's not China. No, not Morocco. Not Mexico. South Korea, good on you, Noah. Well done. Okay, maybe a slightly easier one. The clue is in the name. La Tomatina, can I just now apologise? My pronunciation is never good. So if this is from one of your country's nations, it's a clue that it might be, um, please forgive me. Um, La Tomatina is the biggest tomato fight that exists. It's a strange culture where tomatoes are used as weapons. The whole town have mass battles where only weapons are tomatoes. But where does this happen? Spain. Noah's on a roll this morning. Okay, a few years ago we went to a wedding um, where instead of the bridal party greeting us and us giving us gifts, there was um, a guest lineup to congratulate the married couple by pinning money to the wedding dress. Greece. Greece. Yeah, it is Greece. It was Cyprus. That, um, it was my sister-in-law and my brother that got married, and she's from Cyprus. But I discovered in the, all of this, Cuba as well. That's actually a Cuban married couple. Um, okay, where would you find a whole village gathered to help someone move house? And what I mean is, you move the entire house by putting it on giant poles, picking it up and moving it to a different point on the farm or in the village. It also happens when there's been floods. 
No. 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 Bit louder. Philippines, thank you. By your knee, Hannah, and I apologise to Lucy Ambalden at that point. Takes place in the Philippines. When we left the Philippines, I've actually got a picture that's just inside my front. Yep. <laughs> just inside my front door that we bought before we came back of a house, a painting of a house where it's being transported to remind us that we moved our home from the Philippines to England. They may seem absurd, they may seem strange, but in different cultures, these are traditions that people take seriously and value. Next time you see something strange or unusual, take a look, but don't jump to conclusions or judge, because there may just be a very good reason for their action. We're a little way into our countercultural series now, and we've looked at topics such as identity, science, sanctity of life, and the poor. Today I'm going to share some ideas that are very close to my heart. When Steve asked me to preach on International Day, I kind of did a little dance inside, because it's something that I'm motivated by and I feel really passionate about. So I've called this part of the series God versus Culture. Today, I don't think we can go without noticing, is not just Wimbledon men's final day, but also... World Cup final day. We've been watching teams from around the world for the last month. I love the Japanese culture ethos of you go into a changing room and you leave it the way you found it. And they have been all over social media because of the state that they've left the changing rooms in at the end of the game. They've tidied up after themselves and they've cleaned the changing rooms before they've left. So, you know, culture comes into everything. We were hoping football would be coming home, but unfortunately it's just Gareth Southgate and his team that will be coming home, hopefully holding that golden boot for Harry Kane. It's amazing what a bit of sunshine and a bit of success can do to make people believe that anything is possible, even winning the World Cup. Well, we haven't. So we'll see between France and Croatia this afternoon what happens. We have funny things within this country too, within our own culture. When Baldwin and I first moved back to England from the Philippines, we'd spent two days travelling with a very tiny baby. And some things took a little bit of explaining. The day we arrived in England, we were greeted at Gatwick Airport by the ground crew wearing giant pants over their boiler suits. It took me a little while to realise after six months out of the country, two days of travelling with no sleep, it was in fact comic relief. Pants, get, uh, say pants to poverty was the slogan. So I now know every I know what date we arrived in the country, I just look up. Comic Relief 2001, and there we are. It's part of British culture that we just take for granted, but it is a little bit difficult to explain to a foreigner, especially with no sleep. Culture's unique wherever you come from, not just country to country, but area to area. Are you jam first? 
or are you cream first on your scone? Is it scone or is it scone? I've put here huge debate. <laughs> Cornwall versus Devon. I am actually, I discovered Cornish in the way I eat my... I am definitely jam first. I am definitely a jam first. So feel free to leave now if you disagree. <laughs> Be me and Steve at this rate. Good news. Yeah, you just eat it whichever way it comes. Good news is that cultural diversity is at the heart of God's message for mankind. On more than one occasion through scripture, he sends out a group of his people to the nations with a message of forgiveness and a fresh start. The good news of the gospel is relevant for all cultures, in all countries, through all of history. We're going to go on a whistle-stop tour from Genesis to today, what God thinks about cultural diversity and what is our role in the world today. And I promise to be finished by lunchtime. So let's start at the very beginning. Somebody I feel quite strongly about too also said, you know, it's a very good place to start. When God created the world, it was good. It was very good. In fact, it was perfect. God's kingdom reigned and promoted a culture of walking with God. It was a harmonious relationship with no competition about who was better between men and women. It was an ethic of working the land and taking good care of what God had made. How things have changed. But what went wrong? We know the story of Adam and Eve in the garden with the snake and the apple. Things went pear-shaped. Everything from that point changed for mankind. But for God, he's provided a way to put things right through Jesus. I'm so glad, Mike, that you referred this morning to the cross, because the cross is at the heart of what God wants in mission and the nations. What's the golden rule when something isn't working? Turn it off, turn it back on again. This year, for the first time in 26 years of teaching, I've had to teach computing. It has been a challenge. It has been an interesting journey, as Sam, who's part of the team I work with, will justify. But when things haven't gone quite to plan, I've just turned everything off, I've turned it back on again, and I've started from scratch. And most of the time, it's worked. Well, I'm pleased to say that is a very biblical principle, because God did exactly the same. It only took six chapters from the first book in the Bible, for God to say, for me, the saddest thing that is written in Scripture. People sinned and things had gone wrong. Brothers had started murdering one another for their own gain. But Genesis 6, 5 onwards says this, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of human race had become on earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, 
I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I've created, and with them the animals, the birds and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. This is one of the saddest verses, as I said. God regretted making humans because of how wicked they'd become. God wanted to press the restart button, but there was hope. I need this prop now. What's the clue? Noah. I couldn't sit him on the table and ask him to wait till now. Thank you, Noah. But Noah was found favour in the eyes of the Lord. Hooray for Noah! We know what happened next. Noah built an ark, filled it with every kind of animal, and the rain came. God restarted with just eight humans and a boat filled with animals. After the flood came the Tower of Babel. Up until this point, everybody had spoken the same language, but the harmony didn't last long. People started building a tower of bricks up to the sky. They said, come and let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that they make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the earth. But again, God looked at humans and wasn't happy with what he was seeing. So he confused them by giving them different languages so that they wouldn't be able to understand each other. Verse 8 is key. So the Lord scattered from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That's why it was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. From this point, Noah's three sons led three different tribes in three different directions. Japheth led one group north to Europe, Shem led a group through Asia and the Middle East. And at this point, I was going to bring a packet of nice ham, but I thought it might go off a bit in the heat. But Ham led a group down through Africa. These groups would have developed their own traditions as they travelled together. They'd have had their own idea of language after Babel, and this is where cultural diversity entered the world. It was part of God's plan that man was scattered. If we come full circle to God's plan in Revelation, it's been spoken about and referred to a number of times this morning already, but there will be people from every nation, tribe and tongue represented before the throne of God, worshipping him. And how, but how is this going to happen? This is where we come in. God spent the entire Old Testament teaching a chosen people of Israelites, showing them how he wanted them to live, and then went quiet for 400 years. Imagine God not having spoken to his people at all since the time of Elizabeth I. That's the period of history that we're talking about, where God was silent, nothing's recorded. And then enters Jesus. Jesus came to bring God's kingdom back to the world, teaching mankind a new way of living, one of forgiveness, love, 
and grace, showing God's mercy to even the worst people in society around him. As he was preparing to go back to heaven, having done all that he wanted to achieve, his heart and mind came back to the people on earth that had not heard his message of redemption. He pointed his disciples to go and share the good news. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Note the language that's used here. You will receive power, and you will be my witnesses. When God's power fills us, we can't help but talk about it. We're changed from the inside, and people notice. Talking about Jesus goes against the culture that we live in. People get embarrassed by it. People don't want someone pointing out things they've done wrong or where their behaviour needs to change. When the disciples were praying after the Holy Spirit, after this, the Holy Spirit came in an incredible way. One thing that really amazed people was that the disciples were speaking languages that they didn't know from all over the world. Where once God had confused the world by sending different languages, here he was bringing the work of his kingdom back together to give them a fresh commission to go out and share the good news. It was out of this that Peter stood and spoke with power. This was the start of the early church. Without the power that came from the Holy Spirit, Peter would not have had the boldness to preach and speak about Jesus. At a recent awards event, the actor Chris Pratt, the one on the left, was very countercultural. In a culture of Hollywood that is dealing with a whole ream of men not living the way they should and not treating women the way they deserve, Chris gave this speech. He had nine points for living, but I just want to pick up on five very quickly. Number two, he said, You have a soul. Be careful with it. Here, there was a recognition that there is more to life than what you can see. We're spiritual beings created by a spiritual God, something the Western culture finds very difficult to accept. Number five in his nine points was that it doesn't matter what it is, earn it. Reach out to someone in pain. Be of service. It feels good, and it's good for your soul. At this point, I just want to say congratulations to Joe and Vanessa on the birth of their new baby girl. And um, if anybody wants to um, be of service to them and cook them a meal over the next week or two, could they please get in touch with Pete and Louise um, so that they can coordinate that to happen? We're not just here for our own gain in this world. We're here for others. Jesus summed this up by saying, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Number six in his trail was, God is real. God loves you. God wants the best for you. Believe that. I do. I think he said enough on that point. I don't need to add anything to that. Number eight was learn to pray. It's easy and it's good for your soul. Prayer is a way that we look after our soul by having that relationship with the God that loves you. 
And number nine, and this is the point that he finished on, was that nobody is perfect. People are going to tell you that you're perfect just the way you are, but you're not. You are imperfect. You always will be. There's a powerful force that designed you that way, and if you're willing to accept it, you will have grace, and grace is a gift. Like the freedom we enjoy in this country, that grace was paid for by someone else's blood. Don't forget it. Do not take it for granted. I think that is such a powerful, powerful statement of somebody in a position that had the, the ability and the, um, what's the word I'm looking for, um, the, the opportunity to say and just be open about the love of God and what God has done for us. This speech was wrapped up in funny anecdotes and other kind of things, and if you like a good laugh, Google it, because it is worth seeing. It was the MTV Generation Awards. But it's been washed by millions of people around the world. It's available in countries where you can't preach the gospel, but he did. He was empowered and spoke out against the culture around him to let people know what, that they have a worth because God created them and that they have a God that loves them and that it was made possible through the blood of Jesus to know the grace, the peace and the love of God. But things don't always go well when we share the gospel. Around the world, as I'm speaking, there are Christians being tortured for their faith. Some, Christian, some countries are not open to what Christians have to share. I want to tell you a story of one man who went on mission to tell one of the tribes of South America the story of Jesus. Jim Elliott and four of his friends went to the Alca tribe in Ecuador. The Alcas up to this point had killed every outsider that had ever been caught in their area. And even though it was dangerous, Jim was compelled that God had called him to tell the Alca tribe about the love of Jesus. This story of five men has had a huge impact on me. It was after I first learned about this story, I felt God to say to me, whom shall I send? And my prayer was the same as Isaiah's, send me. And God took me at my word. I'm gonna cut a very incredibly long story very short, but the testimony of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot is one that is incredible. Through um, all kinds of books, the main one that um, Elizabeth wrote about Jim was called Through the Gates of Splendor. Jim went to this tribe, set up camp, and with his five companions made contact with the Alka tribe. But after about a week, all five of them were killed by the tribe he'd gone to speak to. Years later, Elizabeth, Jim's wife, went to the Alka tribe to continue the work that she felt God had called them to. And in one of the books through the Gates of Splendor that she wrote, she tells a story that when she asked the Okas why they'd killed Jim and the others, they told her this, that Jim had met an Alka in one of the towns outside of the village before he went in. And he'd taken a photograph of this man. 
And when he went in to the tribe, he took the photo out of his pocket and showed it to them. And in the limited language that he had, he was trying to say to them, I've met your friend. Look, we're friends. We can be friends too. But they didn't understand what he was saying. This was a culture that had no concept of what a pocket was. And they thought by him taking them out of his pocket, he was taking that person out of his stomach because he'd eaten them. And he was saying to them, look, look at what I did to him. If you don't do what I want you to, I'm going to do the same to you. And at that point, they felt threatened. And at that point, all five missionaries were killed. That goes completely against the heart of what Jim was trying to say. But he'd forgotten one thing, the native culture. Because he hadn't understood, for him, pockets and shorts and trousers were just part of what was there. But this culture didn't have that, and they didn't understand what a pocket was. In one of his diaries before he went, Jim Elliott wrote this, forgive me for being so ordinary while claiming to know an extraordinary God. When we grasp God's heart for the world, when we understand the power he releases in us, then when we, we become what Wendy Mann calls naturally supernatural. A few years ago, and I mean quite a few years ago, I heard Terry Virgo speak on William Carey's expression, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. This is one of those phrases that reverberates around in my head. What am I expecting God to do? What am I attempting for God? If what I'm attempting for God cannot succeed without God being part of it, is it big enough? I've got dreams, I've got passions, I've got a heart to want to see the nations of the world saved. But I cannot do that on my own. It will take the entire church to stand and do their part. Sharing the gospel with people, you have to be sensitive. We have to be aware of the culture around us. For the last year, we've spent a year being involved in the culture of Saturday morning football. We got to know the coaches of his football team, and we'd talk, but we were very British, even Baldwin, and we didn't talk about anything personal. When we showed the football match here a few weeks ago at the beginning of the World Cup, I'd seen them that week, and I felt really prompted to invite them to come, especially when I discovered they live in a road around the back of church. They came, they even advertised it, because I'd shared the advert on Facebook, they then re-advertised, and they sent the advert out to all of their friends as well, which was great. Coming into church kind of gave us permission to talk about life beyond football. We had a fab chat with them, and they commented on how clever the leaflet Jesus Saves was, which was on all the tables. 
They asked what else we put on ch at church. I talked about the Christmas wrapping service in the film afternoons and the different um, craft afternoons and the, diff the, the sales things that we've done and all things. And they were really interesting in coming back. It was in the conversation that kind of ensued after that that we discovered that they have very close friends at Sutton Vineyard Church. And that when they were younger, they went to church. And then they opened up and started talking about their own church background, which has kind of opened a door for us to, to be able to carry that conversation on. God is at work. And I f was filled with the courage I was talking about when... The disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. It gave them a boldness. And I felt that same boldness in wanting to invite them to come. Mission is that easy. Some of us are called to go abroad to the ends of the earth to share the good news, even to tribes that may never have heard the gospel before. Others have to share it in their Jerusalem the town where they live. There are plenty of people who live in Sutton, Carsholton, Epsom, Morden, Wallington, your road, that work in your place of work, that meet at your school gate or go to your school or college or university, that don't yet know Jesus. And... God has made it possible for us to share our faith with those people. To let them know about the relationship that they can have with a God that created them and loves them. So my prayer is that we start praying for a fresh empowering and ask God to show you who and how you're to reach the lost around you. Can you just stand? I'm going to pray for us. Father, I thank you that the heart of your gospel is your love for every single person that you have created that walks this earth today. Whether they're in a country that can openly share the gospel or in a country that is close to your word, Father, I thank you that you know about that. You know the hearts of those people that are crying out to you. And I pray that you would release from us people to share your word wherever we are, whether it's in Sutton, the local area, or further afield. Lord, come and commission people again this morning to share your word. Come and empower people to, to speak the truth of your gospel to their friends and their neighbours and their family. Lord, I thank you that this is so important to you. Lord, this is something that is on your heart for us as a church, to be a church of the nations. Lord, we just lift those that are working from this church abroad, for Ginny and Daniel, for um, John Ford, for anybody else. Jenny, Lord, in Hong Kong. Lord, we just thank you for the nations being reached. Come and have your way, I pray, Father. Amen.